Arterio Morris is now the subject of a very serious sexual assault allegation and is suspended from the Kansas program as he works to completely derail his basketball career with acts of violence. You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey folks, welcome into the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, a daily national podcast, part of course of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Andy Patton, and today's episode of Locked On College Basketball is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use promo code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off your first purchase. Folks, we are going to continue our conference preview series today, discussing every single conference in college basketball today. We will be touching on the Ivy League, whether Princeton can set themselves up for another deep March Madness run like they did last year as a 15 seed. Before we get into that, though, unfortunately, we are going to talk about the serious situation unfolding in Lawrence, Kansas, with Arterio Morris, who has been suspended from the program uh, for a sexual assault allegation. It is a very significant accusation, and it comes just one day, literally one day, after Morris entered a plea deal for a misdemeanor assault charge stemming from an incident that happened before he began his college basketball career at Texas. He was accused of assault by an ex-girlfriend following their breakup. He This happened over the summer before he enrolled in Texas. Then the allegations came out. He enrolled at Texas, you know, played sparingly at Texas. He was behind all those veteran guards with Marcus Carr and Hunter and everybody else who was in the mix there. And, and then he le- enters the transfer portal commits to Kansas and Kansas secured him knowing that he had this pending allegation against him. And of course, as we said, he entered the plea deal for misdemeanor assault. And then one day after that is done, he's done with lawyers, he's done with judges, he's done with court cases. It comes out that he is now being accused of rape in the McCarthy Hall, the men's basketball dorm at Kansas, where where all the basketball players played. 18-year-old went to the police uh, discussed, you know, told them what happened, told them about the situation. As of right now, as this is being recorded on Monday afternoon, Morris has not been arrested. Data is being gathered. He is not directly named in the report that has come out, but it is. it has been indicated that he is the person who is being accused in this situation. There are a couple other players who are in the report, uh, Johnny Furphy, Elmarco Jackson, and Nick Timberlake. I want to be clear from what we've read in the reports from ESPN and, and various other outlets that have reported this. None of those players are even remotely involved, I believe, is that they were very clear in the language that none of them are involved. They're being labeled as witnesses, likely, and this is kind of just speculation on my part and from the part of other people who are reporting the story, uh, they probably saw saw Arterio Morris with this woman or maybe our, our roommates with him, doormates with him, whatever it may be. They're, they're not involved directly in, in this situation whatsoever, but they probably have some kind of information and have been asked to, to cooperate with the law enforcement because of that situation. Folks, I have been doing a Locked On College Basketball podcast for a year. Myself, co-host Isaac Shade. This, we're just coming up on a full year of the show, and I love talking about college basketball. I love talking about teams and players and who's going to take the leap and who's not going to do so well and looking at some matchups. I don't love talking about this stuff. I don't. But it feels like we're talking about it more than we should be. I didn't love talking about Chris Beard last year and the domestic violence case that happened against him, his firing from Texas and getting the job at Ole Miss. I didn't want to talk about that. I didn't want to talk about Mikey Williams 
at Memphis who hasn't even in, hasn't even started at Memphis yet and is already in legal trouble with some domestic violence situations as well. But these stories are important to highlight, not to give the perpetrators any more press. They don't need it. But to highlight what's happening to these victims, to highlight that this is a real problem. And it's not just a problem in college basketball. That's what we're going to talk about because that's what the show is about. But it is a, a pervasive issue on college campuses. And it's, it's beyond that as well. I mean, look at college football right now. Mel Tucker gets fired at Michigan State pending some serious allegations against him as well. This is a, a significant issue on college campuses in athletics and, and really outside of that as well. But we, we can't ignore this. We can't pretend it's not happening. And I don't really want to talk too much about the basketball element of this. Bill Self and Kansas, they're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. And even if they weren't, even if they weren't, even if Kevin McClure didn't come back, even if Arterio Morris was going to be relied upon to play a much bigger role for Kansas than he was, it doesn't matter. That's not the story. That's not the important part of this situation. The important part of the situation is that somebody was victimized in a horrific way by Arterio Morris. And it had happened before. There was already an instance of him using violence against women, and then he did it again. I believe in second chances. I don't really believe in third. I don't. And to be clear, what how Kansas has handled the situation up to this point is fine. I'm not criticizing. Kansas suspended Arterio Morris immediately. All They've basically said nothing to the press. They just said, hey, he's suspended pending the investigation. I think that's fine. I don't, I don't have any criticisms with that particular response to this situation. And I think there can be some legitimate debate on whether Self and Kansas should have brought Morris in in the first place. I'm not going to have a super strong stance on that because I don't know what they knew. And, and I think that that's important. If they really felt that Arturo Morris was a legitimate danger to people on campus, but they brought him in anyway because of his basketball playing skills, then yes, I think they deserve a fair amount of criticism. We don't know what they knew, but there's really not an excuse at this point. They need to let this play out. There's legality reasons. They can't just cut him off scholarship and kick him out of school until they've done the investigation and they've kind of pieced all the stories together. That's just part of Title IX and part of just how college campuses work. And, and I understand that. And I think that that's fine. But Arterio Morris should not play a minute of basketball for Kansas unless this, this case is resolved in a way that is definitive that he didn't do anything wrong. I find that unlikely. I know people will say, well, innocent until proven guilty in a court of law, not here, not in the court of public opinion. It's really hard to believe that Arturo Morris isn't in some way involved in something horrific that happened on Kansas's campus. And at this point, Kansas giving him any level of leeway, letting him play would be, a, again, unless the situation is resolved in a way that I find unlikely for it to be resolved, but you never know. Arturio Morris does not get the right to play basketball at Kansas. He doesn't get the right to be a student at Kansas, to be on scholarship, to play minutes for Bill Self's team. He does not get, that is not a right that is, that is afforded to him. It is a privilege. And it is a privilege that he has very obviously thrown away by the decisions that he has made. You could argue it should have cost him a chance to play at Texas in the first place. You could argue he shouldn't have gotten an opportunity to play at Kansas. Those are fair arguments to make. But right now, I don't think that you can argue that he continues to deserve to get the benefit of the doubt for Kansas going forward. Again, regardless of the role, Kansas really doesn't need him. They don't. 
he was going to be a bench player this year. He was going to probably play a little bit more than he played at Texas and kind of develop behind the scenes. Obviously, he was a, a fantastic recruit and all that, but I don't really care about any of that. I don't. I don't think it matters. What matters now is justice for the victim, justice for the people who are impacted by what Arterio Morris did. Allegedly, I will put that caveat out there, but we know he already has, this has happened in the past for him. It is not an instance of he's never been guilty of anything. He has, he has committed acts of violence against women in the past, and it does not appear to be something that he is actively stopping. I hope he gets help. Not even, not really for him. Certainly not for Kansas. I don't really care about that. So for him, eh, fine. I hope he gets help because I don't want him to impact other people. I don't want this to continue to be a thing that happens. If he can get help and get treated and or go somewhere where he doesn't commit these kind of acts, that's for the better. But right now, he does not get that opportunity. If Kansas continues to keep him suspended until the situation is resolved, that is, I think, the right thing to do. And I suspect that we probably have seen the last of him in a college basketball uniform. And hopefully, hopefully, that will result in him getting better and maybe making some changes in his life so that this does not become a continued issue. But at the end of the day, my heart is, is pouring out for the victim who suffered because Arterio Morris effectively is good at basketball and was given this opportunity to stay at the school and play for this team. And again, I'm not trying to trash Bill Self, but him being there, him being good at basketball is why he was in Lawrence, Kansas. And this poor woman suffered because of that, because of Arturo Morris's inability to control himself because of whatever situations arose that led to this. But I, I'm tired of telling these stories. I'm tired of talking about these situations, but we have to because we want justice for these victims and we don't want these players to continue to get away with committing these kinds of acts against people who, who do not deserve it. It's very hard to transition out of that topic, but we are going to do our best. We're going to talk about Princeton today in the Ivy League. Princeton, they won 23 games in back-to-back -back seasons. And they upset into two-seed Arizona last year. They beat Mizzou in the big dance. Really nice run for them all the way to the Sweet 16. Can they do it again? In 2024, we're going to talk about that and more going on in the Ivy League after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. Get ready for the NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 back in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is super easy to use. You can bet on everything from spreads to player props and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season with an offer that you will not want to miss. FanDuel, an official partner of the NBA. Folks, we are in our conference preview series discussing every single college basketball conference in the country. We're talking biggest storylines. We're talking coaching changes, big transfers in and out. We're also talking about who our favorites are to win the league, who are some dark horse teams that might end up moving into that championship. And then, of course, we're closing it out with some award predictions as well. Today, we are talking Ivy League basketball. Of course, the Penn and Harvard and Yale and all of the most prestigious universities in the country. They got themselves some pretty darn good basketball, too. And last year, the biggest story, and even continuing into this year, Princeton Tigers go into the Sweet 16. If Fairleigh Dickinson hadn't beat Purdue in the first round of the NCAA tournament last year, per, excuse me, then Arizona's loss to Princeton would have been a much bigger story than it was because Princeton not only beat Arizona as a 15-2, which does not happen very often, they then turned around and beat Mizzou. 
Seven-seeded Missouri went all the way to the Sweet 16 before getting bounced by Creighton. And this was a, a very impressive performance from them defensively. They held Tommy Lloyd's high-octane Arizona offense to 55 points in that upset victory. Then they held Mizzou to 63. They kind of beat the doors off Mizzou, 78 to 63 in that contest. Ended up giving up 86 to Creighton, still managed to score 75 and keep that one decently close. But a really strong performance from Princeton in a way that kind of highlighted that the Ivy League is not so bad. They had three teams just outside the top 125 in Ken Palm. Yale was 65th at the end of the season in the Ken Palm rankings. Princeton was 91st and Penn was 126th. That's pretty comparable to some of those kind of middle of the road college basketball conferences. They're not a top 10 conference, maybe not even a top 10 mid-major conference. They're probably right in that conversation comparable to conferences like the WAC and the Missouri Valley and the Big West. But for the, for the Ivy League, a group of schools that are very obviously focused primarily on academics, a group of schools that have a lot of trouble getting transfers in, I think that's very impressive for them to be able to do that. And I think that's kind of what I want to focus on. In an era where college athletics is moving towards transfer focused, teams are getting built via the transfer portal, not just basketball. Football, of course, has a lot of it as well. And you, I mean, you were seeing it in baseball and soccer. It's, it's, it's permeating throughout college athletics. This is a big disadvantage for the Ivy League schools. And it doesn't get talked about all that much because, frankly, Ivy League athletics just don't get talked about all that much. But using Evan Miyakawa's fantastic website, tracking all the transfer portal data, which he gets that stuff from verbal commits, uh, there's one player transferring into the Ivy League. The entire Ivy League, one player transferring in. That is how rare it is because of the academic, the prestigious academics of those schools. It's really difficult to transfer in players who uh, are able to get into those schools. It's just tough. You're just not going to see them landing impact transfers. The one player who is transferring in, by the way, is Johnny Walter. He's going from Cal State Northridge to Penn. He was a freshman last year for Northridge, 1.2 boards per game in 25 games, five starts. Probably not a super huge impact addition, but something to monitor it for Penn. But again, that's it. Princeton, coming off a Sweet 16 run, zero transfers in. Yale, Harvard, zero transfers in. It's not happening for those programs. These programs have to build through traditional freshmen. And they're not landing four stars. They're not landing five stars. They're landing three stars at best. That's just the nature of, of basketball in the Ivy League. And the fact that this conference has had success, that they have had top 100 teams in the Ken Palm rankings, that they have had Sweet 16 runs like they did last year, is a testament to the talent that they are able to bring in using their recruiting methods. It's, it's a testament to the coaching staff. It's a testament to the unique styles they run, the defense-focused offense. I mean, the Princeton offense was iconic for a reason. Like, these teams have figured out ways to adapt to an ever-changing college sports landscape that doesn't really favor them as academic institutions. I don't think it's, it's a surprise that college athletics is going away from things that are beneficial to student-athletes. And the Ivy League is having to adjust to that. And the fact that they have had success is impressive. And they're going to have to prove it next year because, folks, as we always talk about when we do these conference previews and we're talking about these smaller conferences, most of the time the big story is players out. Players out the door going to other programs, and that is the big situation developing in the Ivy League. Two first-team players, including Ivy League Player of the Year Jordan Dingle, are out the door. Dingle, of course, transfers out of Penn and goes to join Rick Pitino at St. John's. The other first-teamer also going to be hanging out with Rick Pitino in St. John's. That is Harvard forward Chris Ledlam, who initially transferred to Tennessee to hang out with Rick Barnes's team, spent a few months 
over the summer with Tennessee, decided ultimately that's not where he wanted to be, hit the transfer portal again, and is now going to team up with Jordan Dingle at St. John's. Four Ivy League second teamers, four out of five players who are on that second team have all hit the transfer portal as well. You have Greg Dolan and Dame Adelikin who have gone from, Dolan goes from Cornell to Loyola Chicago, Adelikin goes from Dartmouth to Loyola Chicago. You also have Paxton Wojcik, who's going from Brown to North Carolina to join the Tar Heels, and EJ Jarvis going from Yale to Florida, a kind of sneaky good addition, I think, for Todd Golden and the Gators there coming out of Yale. Those are kind of the big storylines. Typically, we talk about coaching changes. Uh, There weren't any. Of course, there's a smaller conference in the Ivy League. There's not that many teams, but no coaching changes, uh, no real newcomers coming into the league, uh, some freshmen coming in. We'll talk about them momentarily. Uh, But really, it was a, a league that was dominated by Princeton last year. Can they do it again? That's what we're going to talk about in the third and final segment. All of that coming up after a word from today's sponsor, Game Time. Life is always so busy, and and honestly, the last thing that I want to be worried about is buying tickets to events. Thankfully, there's Game Time, which has killer deals on last-minute tickets for all of the events that I want to go to. Plus, when choosing seats for events, I always get stressed about trying to pick the right ones. I don't want to be behind a pillar. I don't want to have the sun in my eyes. I want to make sure I can see the, the court or the field or the stage or whatever it may be. And Game Time has images of views from your seat so that you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time is the place for last minute ticket deals. They have deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. You can also get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, as well as concerts, comedy, theater, and more. Plus the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. So snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account and use promo code locked on college for $20 off your first purchase. Terms do apply. Again, create an account and use redeem code Locked On College for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. Folks, closing out the show here, still talking Ivy League men's basketball ahead of the 2023-24 college basketball season, part of our conference preview series where we are previewing every single basketball conference in the country ahead of this upcoming season. We talked about the biggest storylines, mostly the fact that there are a lot of high-profile players transferring out of the Ivy League and only one total player transferring into the Ivy League, the difficulty of coaching and working at a prestigious academic program like that. Now I want to talk about the favorites to win in 23-24. And there are two, two teams that I think are kind of the favorites to win it all. And the two teams that tied for first place in the Ivy League last year, you have to start, of course, with Princeton 23 and nine last year, 10 and four in the Ivy League. They won the right to go to the NCAA tournament by winning the conference championship Worked out real great for them, of course, as they beat Arizona and Mizzou and go to the Sweet 16, one of the more kind of understated, underrated uh, Sweet 16 runs from a 15 seed. We've seen a lot of those recently, uh, and and Princeton was kind of one that didn't get as much traction, again, in part because of Fairleigh Dickinson's upset over Purdue. But it's going to be tough for Princeton to to repeat. They lost some significant talent. Tosan Evbumwan moves on. He was their star player last year. He is now in the NBA with the Detroit Pistons. They also lose Ryan Langborg. He transfers to Northwestern in the Big Ten. Those are two leading scorers from last year. Tosan was one of the best players in the entire uh, Ivy League conference. We would have won player of the year if not for Jordan Dingles, 23 and a half points per game. Really fantastic, well-rounded basketball player. Tough loss for them. Ryan Langborg, again, one of their key players as well. They also lose Keyshawn Kelman 
averaged about eight points per game last year, six foot eight forward. He transfers to Florida Gulf Coast to play out over there. However, Princeton did keep some key talent as well. They got freshman uh, Ivy League freshman of the year from last year, Caden Peters. He averaged about eight points and about seven boards last year. They keep Matt Aloko, who averaged 10.7 points and 4.8 rebounds as well. Plus, they got three three-star freshmen coming in. Again, don't see a lot of four-stars in the Ivy League. In fact, I'm not sure if any Ivy League school has landed a four-star recruit in the modern uh, recruiting era. But three three-star guys coming in, three guys who who have some rankings on 24-7, I think is a, a good sign for this program that they're getting an influx of talent to come in to help replicate the guys that they lost. But uh, again, two really key pieces out the door for Princeton. So it'll be tough to, to replicate, especially because they got Yale right on their tail. Yale went 21-9 last year. They also went 10-4 and in the Ivy League. Same regular season record. Princeton just happened to win that championship game, happened to move them into the NCAA tournament. But Yale is a team that... They lost EJ Dar- Jarvis, which we talked about in the first seg- or the second segment there. He goes over to Florida. He was a really key part of that team, 11.5 points, 5.5 boards. But that's kind of the only loss that this team suffered. They had one other player enter the transfer portal. That was Matu Cotton, but he did not play last year. He transferred to Hawaii. We actually talked about him on our Big West Conference preview. I think he's a talented player, and I think it's a, a, a loss for Yale. But the team that went 21-9 and nine last year, basically only lost EJ Jarvis. He's the key player that is out the door. They kept the core together. And the core includes the only other first teamer in the Ivy League who stuck around, which is Matt Noling. Noling averaged 13.6 points and five boards last year. Literally the only first teamer coming back into the conference next year. They keep him. They keep Bez Mebang, who averaged 10.4 points, 4.2 boards, and 3.2 assists last year. He was also the conference's defensive player of the year and an honorable mention for their Ivy League teams. So keep a first-teamer, keep the honorable mention and defensive player of the year. They also have John Pouladakis, who comes back, or Pulakitis, excuse me, who comes back. He averaged 12 points, 3.2 boards last year. And August Mahoney, who averaged 11 points and three rebounds. So that's four guys who averaged double digits, all coming back. The defensive player of the year, a first-teamer. That's a pretty good group of guys coming back. You know, and you talked about Princeton losing uh, more talent than that. Again, they kept some key players as well. I think it's really hard to ignore Yale as the favorite heading into the season. I'm going with Yale. I think Yale's going to win this thing. And again, in, in one big league, one bid league, it always comes down to the NCAA tournament, or excuse me, the conference tournament. It's always, it's always what matters. So anybody could technically win it. And we've seen that with some of these conferences where the talent level isn't as spread out. Sometimes that happens. But to me, Yale's the best team in the Ivy League. And I think that will be replicated in the regular season record. And I think there's a real chance that they are the team that is in the big dance next season. They have a great coach, James Jones is a fantastic coach. He's, he's won 373 victories in his career. He's been coaching at Yale since 1999. Uh, he's a four-time Ivy League coach of the year. He's done a really good job with that program. And I think we're going to see this team continue to, to be one of the top teams in the Ivy League. And I think this is the year where they push over the top and come home with that regular season trophy. And if they do enough in that conference tournament, they're going to find themselves in the big dance as well. I do have a dark horse team, though. I think Princeton and Yale are the likely favorites here. They're they're certainly the favorites, but I think that if it were to be somebody else, there are some teams kind of in that middle of the pack in the Ivy League that I think could make some noise. Again, not a lot of premier additions coming into this conference, so it's kind of going to depend on how what teams kept some of the key talent back. And for that reason, I'm going to go with Brown. Brown finished fifth 
in the Ivy League last year. They had a seven and seven record. They had a 14 and 13 record overall. They finished 175th in Ken Palm. So they weren't a great team last year. They were decidedly average. 175th is pretty much exactly the middle uh, between the, the t- best team and the worst team in the Ken Palm ranking. So they're a pretty darn average team. And again, a seven and seven record in what I consider a, a basically completely average conference. That tracks. That tracks for what Brown is. Brown lost Paxton Wojcik. We talked about that. 15.7 rebounds last year. He goes to North Carolina. He's going to play a nice role for the Tar Heels. And that's a that's a big loss. Anytime you lose a player to a blue blood program like North Carolina, you can bet you probably lost a pretty darn good player. And that is the case here with Brown. Uh, they also lose Perry Cohen. He averaged three and a half points per game, a key role player for them. He transfers to Manhattan. But the key for them is who they kept. Namely, sophomore guard Kino Lilly. Lilly was a second teamer last year, 17 points per game. Really key player for them. One of the most prolific scorers in the entire conference. He comes back. They also keep Nana Awusu Anane, who averaged 10.3 points and eight rebounds. They keep Kalu Anya, who averaged eight points and six rebounds as well. So they keep their, their enforcers, their defensive players, their key rebounders. They keep their leading scorer in Lily. He comes back. Yes, they lose Wojcik, and that is a really tough loss, but I like the talent they're bringing back. They're also bringing in a six-foot-eight freshman who I'm intrigued by, in Fumara Dabo. Dabo played at Prolific Prep, which is one of the top high schools in the entire country, located in, I think, Napa, California, Northern California, certainly. Um, and he wasn't he was a three-star guy, didn't have really any ratings from, from 24-7 sports, finding a lot of updates on him and, and scattering reports on him. There weren't a ton. Most players who commit to Ivy League schools didn't have huge write-ups uh, coming out of high school. That's kind of the deal. But I'm intrigued by anybody who got an opportunity to play at Prolific Prep. A six foot eight, big bodied forward coming into the Ivy League where you don't have as many guys like that. There's some intrigue there. Is he going to come in and automatically replicate the 15 and seven that Wojcik put up? Probably not. That would be incredible for a freshman to do in the Ivy League. But he's a guy that I think could help this program as soon as as soon as this year. He could help them as a true freshman. And with the key players they have returning, with a guy that I, spoiler alert, I think could win player of the year in Kino Lilly. That's a team that I think could challenge. Maybe they finished third. Maybe they still finished behind Princeton and Yale. But maybe they got the pieces to make a run in that conference tournament. Maybe they got the pieces to be the next team that, that challenges somebody in March Madness out of the Ivy League. I think it's possible. So Brown's a school that I'm going to keep an eye on in that Ivy League. Closing out the show with our awards, of course, we do our uh, player of the year, newcomer of the year, which for this, this conference is going to be freshman of the year. We also have coach of the year and defensive player of the year. Player of the year, I already teased it. It's Kino Lilly coming out of Brown. 17 points last year. He shot 40% from three. I should clarify, his freshman and a sophomore, he shot exactly 39.9% from three, just a touch under that 40% mark. He also averaged about two and a half assists, two boards, and just over one steal per per game. Uh, I think he's going to have a similar role. I think he might even have the ball in his hands a little bit more with Paxton out the door at UNC. I think he's a guy who could challenge for 18, 19, maybe even 20 points per game. If Brown truly does move from fifth to third or even moves up to second, I think Lily is a guy who potentially takes home that award. Honorable mention here is Matt Noling. We talked about him earlier. He's the only first teamer to return to the conference. It's hard to not want to go with him, uh, a guy who should have a bigger role at Yale this upcoming season as well. But give me Lily to take home the trophy here. 
newcomer slash freshman of the year. I know I hyped up uh, the new freshman at Brown Dabo, but I'm actually going to go with the freshman at Princeton, Derek Sangster, three-star freshman. He's the 62nd ranked small forward in the class of 2023. I know that doesn't sound super high, but for Princeton landing a guy who's just outside the top 50 at his position, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. Uh, six foot seven, small forward. He comes from Archbishop Midi High School in San Jose, a prolific high school athletic program. Aaron Gordon came from there. A handful of other really talented athletes have come from Archbishop Midi. So for, for Sangster to have come from that school, to have at least a ranking on 24-7 sports positionally. And you look at this team, they're losing Tosa and they're losing Kelman, two key players who played that kind of wing role for this team. There's an opportunity for Sangster to play big minutes right away for the Tigers of Princeton. And I think they're a well-coached team. They're a team that's kind of got aspirations to get back into that big dance and make another deep run. And, and if he's ready to play right away, he's going to have a big role. And I think that's enough in, in a conference that has a lot of freshmen joining that are all kind of rated around, around the same as three stars. Sangster's a guy that stands out to me who could have a, a big enough role on a good enough team right away to be the guy taking home this award. Coach of the year, James Jones at Yale. I kind of touched on that already. Uh, if he goes from second to first, it's not really that big of a jump, but I think Yale has the potential to, to win this conference by more than a game, maybe a two-game, three-game lead. And when there's very few conference games, there's very few teams, if you commandingly win the conference, that should be enough for you to get coach of the year. So for me, give me James Jones, a guy who has won this award four times. Let's make it number five for him at Yale. And then closing it out, Defensive Player of the Year. We're going really boring. We're picking the guy who won it last year, Bez Mebang from Yale. He won it last year. He should compete for it again this year. He was among the Ivy League leaders in basically all the advanced defensive stats, box plus, minus, win shares, all of that. He also averaged one and a half steals per game last year. I think he's going to be another pesky, pesky defender on the wing for Yale this year. And I think that's enough for him to win this award for the second straight year. That's going to wrap us up for today here on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Thank you so much for making the show your first listen or your first watch of the day. Shout out to those everyday listeners checking the show out on YouTube. We're really close to 1,500 subscribers, so if you have not done so yet, go to YouTube.com, search Locked On College Basketball, and hit that big red subscribe button. Leave a like to let us know that you were here. Leave a comment if you have thoughts about the Ivy League and, and perhaps which, which teams maybe we didn't talk about that might make a run this year, all that good stuff. we got more conference uh, previews coming your way later this week. So stick with us here as we get closer to October, which means we're closer to November, which means of course we're closer to college basketball returning. Hang in there folks until next time, as always, peace out.